Hello and welcome to the I Hate Infinite Jest Podcast, episode 26, pages 747 to 774. I am your host, as always, Jesse Dram, comedian, literature lover, podcaster, and who boy do I am I am not having a good fucking day. I'm trying to think how much to put him on blast. Uh, our guest is not here today. So here's my more. Uh, I'm going to try to keep it brief. This is going to be a short episode. So uh, I was writing up on my laptop, on my fiance's laptop last night. I was writing up the wrestling pay-per-view, AEW Full Gear. Go check out my writings on SteelRingPost.com where I do humorous summaries of wrestling. If you guys like wrestling and listen to this somehow, you'll probably like it quite a bit. And uh, it was the middle of the night, and all of a sudden the laptop just, like, blipped, and it started updating out of the blue. This was the update that if you have a MacBook, you know it will try to tell you forever and ever. No, It's like a stalk. It's like a jilted lover. It's like, hey, you still want to, you know, take this to the next level, maybe? No. I'm writing about wrestling on you. No. I don't need whatever ridiculous goddamn Apple updates you're going to give me. Because Apple is really high maintenance. Like, it doesn't matter. what Whatever you buy, if you buy a fucking harmonica from Apple, they want to turn it into a goddamn recording studio. And, you know, shove like 10 terabyte uploads onto your 600 gigabyte hard drive and they don't give a fuck so it started updating in the middle of the night i could not stop it i tried using my laptop this morning and it was just bricked like it's working a little bit but it's so goddamn slow it's not even worth it so i'm trying to figure out the laptop thing we're supposed to record at 11 30 a.m but my guest asked if we could push it back an hour because he had to wake up late i, I don't know i get it I'm not an early bird either. Um, so I'm trying to set this up. The fucking cat is walking on the keyboard. I am going to owe the cat some favors later because I may have yelled at the cat just a teensy bit. Finally, it's like, okay, I need to set this up on my phone instead. And then I find out on Zoom on my phone, I can't record. So how? Well, what do I do? What else can go wrong? I can tell you what can go wrong. I can message the problems I'm having to... Uh, the the my guest that I'm having on Twitter that I pushed everything back for, and you know what I get in the middle of texting this? I get blocked by this fucking dork. Okay, you know what? I'm not going to say who it is. Let's just say that he ran and lost for one of state representatives in Ohio the other day, and he's a very snarky leftist on Twitter. And you know what? I like leftist principles. I'm for it. Bernie would have been my main guy, but you know... I've met so many of them that, and I can't judge everything about this person that they'd cancel a podcast last minute and then block me so that they do not have to talk about it in any way. But a lot of them, not good people. Like, I'm just saying, I don't understand why we can't just insure everybody for free and everybody gets to live in a mansion. And at the slightest inconvenience, I'm going to run away from my own responsibilities. But why can't the world just do that, guys? So, yeah, this fucking dork just blocked me out of nowhere on Twitter. I can't communicate to him. We had nothing bad between us. The last thing I sent to him, I sent to him uh, the new 
Zoom link. I was talking with him last night. He said, like, oh, I can't do 11.30. Can you do 12.30? Like, sure, buddy. A-okay. I'm accommodating, and I want you to have a good time. Apparently, he forgot all about it because I was just, I, the last thing I sent him was, hey, I edited the time. I wanted to make sure it didn't change the link. Here's the new link. Then I was trying to figure stuff out, and that didn't work out. So I was literally just going to text him like, hey, having some problems, going to have to postpone. In the middle of texting, it says, you can no longer. I'm sorry, Jesse, but I can't allow that. You are no longer allowed to communicate with blah, blah, blah failed uh, attempter of the house of state house in ohio and then he blocked me is this a new stereotype for hardcore david foster wallace fanboys because i went back to some of his other tweets and it's literally like oh you like game of thrones i read pinchon and wallace so maybe he wasn't the best guest for this podcast um so yeah fuck that guy and uh i guess you know i've been waiting for this to happen since day one just because running uh my previous podcast magical misery tour was always in person always it was people i knew or at least people i'd gotten in contact with personally the whole thing took place in person we were meeting in real life so ever since i started zoom i've been waiting for something to fall apart and not work and i really didn't think this would be the one thankfully everybody else has lived up to has lived up to defeating my anxiety by being there on time prepared not making things difficult and really just wanting to talk about a book with somebody and having a good time that's what this is i know the hate thing is a big thing but you know it's uh we're, we're trying to be positive here. We're trying to have fun. You guys have heard me. I'm not a bad guy. If you ask my cat right now, she might say differently. But in all in fairness, she shouldn't have been stepping on the fucking keyboard. Lilith. Bad cat. So. I knew it would come to this at some point. Uh, I am just going to read the summary and get on with my life. So. Episode 26 will uh, not be the best of episodes. Or, or maybe it'll be great. I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I don't need no stinking guests on this. We don't need no stinking badges. We don't need roads where we're going. We don't need another hero. Was that Bonnie Tyler? No, she needed a hero. Never mind. She, If anything, she needed more heroes, let alone another hero. Oh, we don't need another hero. It was Tina Turner. Fuck. Guys, you see how my brain works when I don't have anybody to, like, behave in front of? So, um, if you are in the southeastern Pennsylvania area, I have a show coming this week, November 12th, at Workhorse Brewing in King of Prussia. Look up Cricket Comedy, look up Yeast Coast Comedy, look up Workhorse Brewing. Come out, see me, that's going to be a good show. I'm going to pause for a second so I can mention who the other comics are. On that show will be Pat Roche, Rob Cruz, and Brandon Mitchell. All very funny guys. Check them out online. Brandon Mitchell's hilarious. Rob Cruz is hilarious in a way that annoys me because he hasn't been doing it that long. And he's doing very well already. So, boo, my friend Rob Cruz. <laughs> yeah, go uh, go check us out. Again, that's Cricket Comedy, Yeast Coast Comedy, 
Workhorse Brewing, 250 King Manor Drive, King of Prussia, PA, 19406. Tickets available at cricketcomedy.com. That's cricket with a K. After that, the week after, I'll be at the Pensauk and Country Club for a weird, like, group roast battle thing that'll be on the 19th. Fuck. Guys, this feels weird. This feels weird. I'm I'm really I'm really angry. I'm really goddamn annoyed that some nobody loser hyper leftist from Ohio fucked me over and he probably feels like quite the powerful little stinker right now. Now that I look through I should have seen it coming. I should have seen it coming. He seems to be when you think when you think a bad thing about a David Foster Wallace fan, it might have been this kid. Just like real snarky. I'm smarter than you. Ew, I don't care about politics. I just did it to prove a point. Bet, bet, bet. Nah, you're a fucking loser. And that's all you proved, Mr. Failed candidate for the Ohio State House. Let's get on with this goddamn episode. It is gonna be a short one. I hate Infinite Jest. 26. 7.42 to 7.74. There will be no song this week, so let me give let me give a quick... A discordant note. And yet it fits the tone. The woman who called Marathin is not an addict, but an edit authority figure. This internal monologue is all written in broken French to English syntax. The woman is having a disagreement with a man on speakerphone, and she's upset about it. Her two dogs sit nearby, one licking its genitals. The man that was harassing Marat outside is named Selwyn. Real quick about the dogs licking their genitals nearby, I'm going to steal a joke from my old Uncle Rick. You know why a dog licks its balls? Because it can. Uncle Rick, truly a poet for the ages. Father of Cousin Frank, episode six. When this podcast starts up again after we're done, Infinite Jest, I have a good feeling the first episode's going to have Cousin Frank back because we're going to be talking something near and dear to us. Marat apologizes for not petting the dogs as instructed. Marat says he is a Swiss alien addicted to smack, skag, and H, seeking residential treatment. Marat is applying for admittance with the name Henry. It seems the lady is Pat Montesian. She balances badly on uneven legs. I could not read that sentence about the drugs with uh, addicted to smack, skag, and H. Because if you are a fan of uh, the musical Rent, there's a scene where it's like, you know, hey, got any smack, any skag, any horse, any joogie boogie boy, any blow. So, uh, yeah, I might have pictured Marat breaking into song. Right there. Go listen to Rent. It gets it gets a bad rap, and it's deserved, but the music's nice. Pat says they've been handicapped accessible from the start, and that she was still in a wheelchair when she first came to Ennett. She points out they have another veiled patient right now that he might connect with and ID with. Marat looks intently around the room, trying to memorize every detail. He tries to disguise by making a large smile at Pat, forgetting she can not see through this veil. Marath says that all his afflictions came from one overdose, that he did heroin, keeled forward in a chair, but his legs stayed entangled, lost blood flow, and needed amputation. 
uh, and that his face became deformed after several unconscious days smushed against the floor. Marat sees cartridges with smiley faces on them on the shelf and gets excited. So a similar thing happened to the singer and guitarist from the band Megadeth, Dave Mustaine. He did heroin and passed out weird in a chair, and uh, because your body's not responding to you know your neurons properly and your nerves, pretty much he pinched a nerve in his arm and could not play guitar for four years. Which would have been very sad. Unfortunately, something even sadder happened. He regained the strength in his arm, and he became a born-again Christian. And if you look up Dave Mustaine politics, you will see he's a bit of a less famous Ted Nugent right now. Uh, Obama was a secret Muslim trying to take down the country, etc., etc. I always wonder, the people who really believe conspiracy theories, like... They haven't taken a whole lot of guns in the last 50 years, yet it's still the rallying cry. They're coming for your guns. They're going to declare martial law. The closest it came to happening was when their guy was in office, and they don't fucking care then. By the way, another thing. Fuck that loser from Ohio. You know why? Because I was in such a good goddamn mood about the election, and I wanted to talk to this loser about that. Although I'm sure he would have been one of those guys like, actually, you know, Biden eats black babies. Like, yeah, okay, yeah, fucking dork. I'm being too mean. Anyway, Joel realized part of the sadness of the Incandenza family is that they had mistaken being eccentric for being open with one another. The whole family lousy with secrets. People tend to be more intuitive about their lovers' families than their own. That's very true, actually. She continued cleaning, noting Gompert's empty bed. Marat has a hitch in his plans. Pat is clearly showing preference for another physically disabled person and offered him to stay in a temporary room. Oh, sorry, I put the wrong inflection on that. Marat has a hitch in his plans. Pat is clearly showing preference for another physically disabled person, as in not a different physically disabled person than Marat, but is showing preference for Marat himself and offering immediate stay in a temporary bunk. Meanwhile, Marat was planning to go back to the Antitois shop for the night and had not planned for this deferment. He considers many options, such as declining, calling Fortier, calling Steeply, telling Pat there's a spider beside her and snapping her neck, which he doesn't want to do. Marat has lost the stomach for this kind of work. After he impaled the Antitois brother, he had to secretly vomit in the street, which I think is where we first find out that it was Marat himself who did, I'm recording a podcast! Can anything go right today? Marat has lost the stomach for this work. After he impaled the Antitois brother, he had to secretly vomit in the street. We hear Marat's thoughts and discover he is, in fact, a quadruple agent for ONAN. He plans, once Quebec is seceded, to be hidden by Steeply with his family in America and give up all the information he has on the AFR. He pictures his wife getting medical treatment in the U.S. Uh, so finally, we have the answer there. Was he a double agent or a triple agent? In fact, he was a quadruple agent. He was... God, okay, let's do this. He's technically, he's going to sell out to the U.S. side while pretending to pretend to... While he's trying to make a decision, Jonette wanders in and converses with Pat. Pat wants her to head up to Enfield and get a massive amount of donated film cartridges for the residents at Ennett. As many as she can carry. Pat informs that people at Ennett have to get jobs, and many of them end up working at Enfield. 
but of course, Murat says. So, yeah, we're getting... Uh, I mentioned last week I was really excited to see Murat at Ennit at all because suddenly we've, we've seen these characters existing in their own bubbles and now these bubbles are bleeding into one another, which is something bubbles don't entirely do, so maybe not the best metaphor. Point is, Murat is suddenly that much, and not only is he at Ennit, but now that he realizes he can easily get access to Enfield while at Ennit, he is very excited. 755. Mario is in Stitt's room, Bolex camera on his head. The room is covered in acoustic tiles, built for the stereo system, consisting of four Mario-sized speakers in every corner. Stitt is asleep in the middle of the room in a chair. Extremely loud European opera is playing, the only way Stitt can sleep. It's 9pm, and everyone is in the mandatory study period. Soon, everyone will be in their PJs, and the girls in the wing will stop in each other's rooms before lights out at 11. Mario looks out in the hall and sees a girl wearing a towel after the shower, and she pushes his helmet camera away, repeating to everything he says, I'm wearing a towel. Mario catches Lamont Chu coming out of the room in a towel. Lamont asks if he should say something for posterity, but his mind immediately goes blank after Mario assents. Lamont gives some detail that he was down talking to Lyle. Regardless of what Lamont says, Mario responds to every sentence with, Everything you are saying is good. You can tell Mario wants to nod furiously, but is resisting so as not to interrupt the camera shot. Lamont talked to Kyle about the Eschaton fallout, and because this uh, is the I Hate Infinite Jest podcast, I think now would be a good time to remind the reader that we are in the 700s, and Eschaton was 400 fucking pages ago, and we still haven't gotten to the aftermath. This book, ugh. Even if I'm liking some... I'm going to have an aneurysm before the end of this fucking episode. I'm going to die just like my high school sweetheart died of a brain aneurysm on my 18th fucking birthday because of computer malfunctions and stupid cats and dickheads from Ohio. Thanks again, Red State. Fuck this book. Yeah, Eskadon was 400 pages ago. Guys, it didn't need to take this long. It didn't. There's concerns the Big Buds will be in trouble for it. He tries to get Mario's insights on whether Hal has any idea what's happening. Mario is still in Filmmaker, saying, You're saying good things, while looking for, through a viewfinder at the footage. The irony is, because he's looking through the viewfinder, but Lamont is looking directly at Mario, in Mario's view, it appears that Lamont is looking at his chest. You get the idea that people don't genuinely ask Mario's opinions too often. Mario asks if he can use this footage in the documentary. Lamont says, whatever, just tell me what you think. Mario says he thinks he's capturing the real Lamont Chew here. This is all pretty funny. Lamont gets annoyed and tells Mario this is like talking to a rock, to which Mario responds, this is going very well. Mario goes to the headmaster's office, walking by a nervous CT, who is always nervous around Mario. Avril sees him and happily calls out to him, while talking on the phone with someone. Mario detaches the police lock on his chest. Avril watches and doesn't help, knowing full well Mario would ask for help if he needed it. She feels like a great mother. In a creepy callback, Oren, oh, in a creepy callback to Oren, Avril asks if this is just a stop in or is she the subject of the film tonight? As we all know, Oren refers to his seduction projects as subjects and uh, seems there might be a very high chance that 
he that Avril had sex with him in the car, and that's why she doesn't talk to him anymore. I don't think that's a spoiler alert because I don't think it's ever said straight up. Avril and Mario are the least embarrassable people the other one knows. Avril is tired, Mario can tell, by her trademark big white cowlick on her tired white head of hair. Avril invites Mario to eat dinner with them. Mario asks if CT is in his office deciding Eschaton stuff. Avril says no, he's with Poutrincourt talking to a Miss Helen Steeply, and that Mario can talk to her about Oren if he likes. Avril tells Mario, against his will, how she tries to stay out of the kids' lives unless they ask. Hilariously, Mario is trying to get her attention to ask something, but she's too distracted at repeating how she doesn't want to smother them with attention. Mario finally asks Avril to tell how to tell when someone is sad. Avril responds by correcting his grammar. She suggests a bunch of signs, but Mario just keeps asking further questions. Avril intuits that he's talking about how, which Mario does not confirm. Avril tells an anecdote about not feeling oneself is a mistake. To assume the negative feelings are somehow any less you than the positive feelings. She tells a story about how her father had a farm and wanted to invest his profits between two ventures. The venture he chose was a punch drink made in Delaware. The one he didn't choose was Coca-Cola. The punch drink went under and the farm crops died with blight. And the grandfather never talked about his feelings, except when he'd get drunk once every three months, during which he'd sob and throw his son out the window. The son, in turn, could only talk of these incidents when he was drunk. He died from drink, presumably. Avril notes that this benefited her, that his, parents pay, his inheritance paid for she and Tavis to go to college, and he had considered wasting money. He had considered spending money on a woman's education a waste. The moral is that some people are so terrified of their own emotions that it destroys them. So I understand a little bit the, uh, the drunkard who can only let out his trauma when he is drunk. I'm actually, it runs in the family. I'm very lucky that is not the case for me. As you can tell from me being stone sober and having a fucking meltdown on something I'm going to put out in public, expressing myself is not one of my problems. But, uh, so my father was one of eight Irish Catholic, whoop whoop, and, uh, my dad was the demonstrative one, the extroverted one, and the rest of them are exactly the Irish you would think. Like, oh, don't don't talk about our feelings. That's that's where the devil finds you. <laughs> and my dad was a loud demonstrative one, but he had that drunken lair too. I have two. Uh, yeah, if anybody has any drunk dad confessions, please write to at Jesse Dram. At gmail.com, at Jesse Dram on Twitter and Instagram, uh, at Diamond Joe Quim on Reddit. It's just dirty, I'll admit it. Um, with, uh, yeah, you know, they, they, they had that show where people had to call in and do cartoon voices of their fathers criticizing them, which was so dumb. But they had that show. So why don't you write in and tell me if you have any drunken dad confessions? Because there's some good ones out there. My dad. Fuck, I got to go plug in the charger. Pause it, even though you won't tell. It'll be like a blip in time. Hold on. 
I have returned from the past to tell the mysteries of the ages. I have discovered who killed John F. Kennedy. It turns out it was Jean Benet Ramsey. Anyway, my dad had two big drunken confessions to me. One was, uh, you know, I'll tell the funny one first, even though the funny one is pretty, <laughs> whew. Uh, I, I, I would just tell this the way I tell it on stage. Um, my dad got really drunk when I was like 12 years old and my dad was like a very big barroom brawler kind of guy fought a lot violent, but not towards not, you know, he was more competitively violent aside from never making a dime. Anyway, when my dad was, when I was 12, my dad got really drunk and confessed to me that he was pretty sure that he killed a guy in a bar fight when he was in his 20s and just never got caught for it. And like, yeah, we were scrapping and having a bit of a rumble and he was on the ground and I kicked him in the head and like green shit started leaking out of his ear and he didn't get up and we just didn't go to that bar anymore. (coughs) I asked my dad how he felt about that, that he might have taken somebody out of the world and he said, "Eh, well, I brought you into the world. So, you know, even Stevens. Yeah, dad. That's how, that's how murder works. Take a penny, leave a penny. As long as it all works out in the end. So that's that's the silly story I have to tell. The The other confession is sad, and it doesn't even involve murder. Uh, by the way, my dad is long dead, or I would never tell that fucking story. Uh, let's, just, let's just say that's the one he felt bad about. Um... Now, my, da- my my dad's dad died when he was 16, and they did not have a great relationship, as I don't think anybody has with their parents when they're 16. If you had a good relationship with your parents when you were a teenager, you were a, either you were a dork or your parents were irresponsible, and they were just like getting you high and buying you booze and shit. Uh, my dad shared the story about how his dad was already sick with cancer, and my dad had come home late and fucked up. And his dad was at the top of the steps saying, get up here and get in your goddamn room. You made your mother cry. Blah, blah, blah. And my dad said, you don't scare me, old man. And my grandpa said, all right, come up here and take on your old man if you think you can. And uh, unfortunately for my father, the classic known as Star Wars Episode Three, Revenge of the Sith had not come out yet, and it was not yet a popular meme, nor were memes even a thing yet, that you, ca- you can't win, JD, I've got the higher ground. Well, he found out the hard way when my grandfather kicked him in the fucking face and knocked him down the steps, and as my father cried at the bottom of the steps, he said, get the fuck out of my sight and get in your room. And my dad told this story crying because it was uh, one of the last memories he had with his father before his father was incapacitated by colon cancer. And which, like, fuck my dad, too. What What a little shit. The guy is, like, being... The guy is rotting from the insides out. And here comes his little mulleted son with a fucking vest on. Like, you know... Fuck you, Dad. It's, uh, I'm going to go listen to Stairway to Heaven in my room. Yeah. Like, yeah, he should have been kicked in the face. He was a violent fucking animal. <laughs> uh, 
We never really know our dads, to quote John Mulaney. God, this is a weird episode. Um, there's another song. I, I, I really like uh, the tone of this chunk here when somebody is not feeling themselves. And uh, we, we do tend to have the notions, ooh, you know what? This ties in to the theme of today's episode. So we have the discussion of not being oneself, which is not possible because it's saying like, oh, I feel a little off today. I don't fight quite feel myself like oh i'm in a bad mood today i don't quite feel myself which is separating you from those emotions as if yourself is only the positives that is something that happens a lot i try to be very honest with myself uh as a matter of fact one of the quickest bullshit tests you can ever give a person is take note if they have ever taken responsibility for anything i had an ex-girlfriend i was with for a long time that i loved quite a bit she never would admit to doing anything wrong no responsibility no i take no responsibility and uh yeah it's the sign of a sociopath of something wrong there is a former uh, artistic partner that i worked with back in the day lately who is being a real psycho like trying to reconnect with a bunch of people who don't people talk about this getting away from this guy like they talk getting over a heroin addiction like he sucks people like a psychic vampire if you've ever heard the term and still and now here he is 10 years later harassing a bunch of people saying i need you to sign off on this because we somebody wants to buy the the screening rights to our movie we made 12 years ago like dude nobody no like you're trying to work your way back in did you maybe dude if you have a bad relationship with all these people maybe harassing them and texting their 16 year old fucking nieces isn't the way to do it but in his mind it's just nobody's as dedicated as me even told me like you're not a true artist this motherfucker hasn't written anything in a decade and when he wrote it it was a shitty rom-com and he's telling me who's writing songs about a book i don't even like almost every fucking week you're not an artist fucking loser and this gets into today's theme with this fucking guest today is one thing I have seen is nerds. And I'm going to use the term derisively nerds, but I'm not using it in the modern context. I'm not saying if you love comics, if you love infinite jest, that does not make you a nerd. For me, a nerd in the pejorative sense is you need to be so dedicated to the mindset that you don't allow yourself to be anything else. I have met quite a few people in my life who were nerds but specifically in this way in that they were shitty people um and i mean they did shitty things but because they were nerds they would never acknowledge them one specific nerd i can think of uh kidnapped a girl only relented it's whispered around this group because hey no harm no foul uh it got a little too far and the girl said, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Stop this. And he relented. But uh, yeah, very nerdy fucking guy. And part of that is, well, I wouldn't do something bad. That's something jocks do. That's something bad people do. It's when you've been enough of a victim 
that you convince yourself you could never be a predator, that you can never hurt somebody. Our guest today, who is clearly somebody very uh, interested in justice, and by the way, I wouldn't say for a second comparing this to like social justice and you know civil rights, but I think it does indicate something that somebody who is really bitching to a bunch of people on Twitter enough that they ran for state representative in Ohio because they wanted to show the Democrats a lesson, despite demanding personal responsibility from everybody else on the hugest matters, didn't have the personal responsibility to stick to a fucking podcast agreement. Like, I guarantee he feels... He saw that message I sent, and either A, he was stringing me along the whole time, like, eh, he hates David for us, but I'll show him. (laughs) I uh, I will be nice and confide in him, and boy, won't he feel like the fool to... I don't get that. Like, ah, gotcha. Like, oh, yeah, I, I, I believed you were a decent person for a human being. You sure got me. As if, like, taking somebody at their word is a negative. But, yeah. I, or what happened is he's a fucking loser who never read the section he was supposed to, never took notes, and then when he actually saw the link, didn't want to deal with it, and just fucking, like, it's just easier to block. And I'm sure if he did do that, something about it, like, well, he he, he badmouthed David Foster Wallace. He, Dave, he, he badmouthed my literary boyfriend that I've modeled my life on. So, you know, fuck him. I can do whatever to him. And, yeah, like, it's when nerds find a little, and, and, well, in this case, no power. But I have seen other nerds, like a, a local improv community around here they started a gofundme they set up a, a yeah a, a kickstarter to open their own comedy theater and said this will be a theater for the community and you know what happened once they got started they started whittling down who was and who was not the community they started banning people on guilt by association if they hung around with people that we found you know uncouth or like but again like well no we're the little improv nerds like we're not we couldn't do anything bad. We could never be. It's, it, we're, we're, we're such tiny little bugs that we could never be the ones that are excluding people. It's. Ugh. So, yeah, pretty much people, people doing everything they can doing mental gymnastics to avoid considering that, hey, maybe you're like everybody else just as capable of good and bad of pleasure and pain of helping and harming and maybe if we all just get over ourselves a little bit if you can't if you can't admit like oh yeah i did something pretty shitty back there my bad i remember yeah another ex who fucking cheated on me and then we later got back together and then i brought it up one day and they're like well you said you forgive me so i don't think you should mention anything like that because it's kind of making me feel bad and i answered like oh well no i forgave you but i didn't forget so maybe what happened here is maybe the answer here is you did something shitty and the answer is not don't remind me of that maybe the answer is you should feel shitty for a little bit And, you know, apply that feeling next time you have some temptation to do something shitty. 
It's not like, ah, well, it's your fault for making me shitty. No, fuck you. Don't do the shitty thing in the first place. Or then feel shitty. Guys, I have so much shit I feel guilty about. I feel guilty about yelling at my goddamn cat. She is going to get so many tummy rubs tonight. And I'm going to go out and buy some fucking uh, catnip and get her super high. And she won't remember me yelling at her and grabbing her by the scruff of the neck and saying, Stop stepping on the keyboard. I got to get some douchebag from Ohio to talk about infinite jest for nothing. Avril is noted to be a top-notch beauty, but had the remarkable look of becoming very attractive when she was young, and that beauty never fading, unlike many exquisite youthful youthful beauties that fade with time. She continues to ramble on the subject of emotional aversion, long past the point of Mario needing it explained. Mario asks, what if this person isn't not feeling themselves, but more feeling extra themselves? Avril is confused and asks if Mario is referring to CT, or perhaps himself, though of course he would just come out and say it if it were he himself feeling this. So it seems he's talking about Hal, Hal, the notion of Hal being more himself, but again, that would be, you know, negative qualities, his his tendency to anxiety, of paralysis by analysis, of tucking away from the world, all things that are part of Hal, but now just a little more so, now that he's moving away from uh, marijuana and, you know, possibly towards other drugs? We'll find out. I'm going to take a sip of water here. Hal wanders into Mario's room and finds him asleep. Mario asks for his help, asking for somebody for tapes. Specifically, pre-recordist Madame Psychosis shows. Hal tells Mario he's having terrible nightmares of his teeth turning to shale and cracking off. Very interesting. When my when I initially started having panic attacks, I would actually be tormented by like constant imaginations in my brain of my teeth and gums turning to bark and just chipping off. Yeah, anxiety is really dumb. I remember having constant things like, what if my brain gets turned around inside my head like it's turned around upside down? Like, dude, I was 20 fucking three. Like, really, guys, anxiety... Go see a therapist, look into cognitive behavioral therapy. It does wonders. But the first thing is to admit you have anxiety and maybe not that everybody else in the world is a big old meanie making you upset. Mario and Hal do the typical incandenza thing where they have entirely separate conversations. Mario tells Hal everyone's been asking about him while Hal continues to talk about his teeth and being billed forever for them in his nightmare. Mario asks Hal if he remembers Avril's dog. Hal says he hasn't been able to stop thinking about Oren since CT brought them in. He remembers Oren being a pathological liar. Hal says they got the ONANTA urinalysis guy to give them 30 days after the Whataburger and Thanksgiving break that collects then collect specimens from them. It, it's never said outright. I actually looked some of this up. It's indicated here that Pemulus did some kind of blackmail to Avril to make this happen. Uh, obviously, he caught... John Wayne and Avalyn Candenza in her office in not quite sex, but possibly worse than sex, a compromising position of her in a cheerleader outfit and John Wayne naked except for a helmet, shoulder pads, and an athletic supporter. So it isn't stated outright here, but it's hinted at that Pemulus might have done a little something to give them a 30-day absentee ballot here. And Hal is now sober from drugs for the first time in a very long time, and he is not feeling very good. Anyway, 
Hal says that Mario, with his constant love and reassurance, is like talking to the moms, only he believes Mario means it. Hal hints Pemulus had something to do with a 30 days stay of execution. Hal rambles on the different types of liars in the world, how they operate and come to be, and how Pemulus put on quite a show with his lying with the urinalysis. Hal says he had a childhood phobia of monsters, but now that he's older, the scariest thing to him in the world is someone whom you can never tell if they're lying or not. The realest lie that we can't is that we can't tell they're monsters living among us. And guys, that is today's episode. Uh, by the way, last week, the uh, parody of This Train is Bound for Glory. One of the weird things about being a songwriter is when your own songs get stuck in your head. Now, you may have noticed there was a French line in there, which is, Cette uh, train fera de toi home. Cette train fera de toi home. Cette train fera de toi home. Tu n'as pas besoin de jambes. Cette train fera de toi home. If you were curious what that translated to, but not curious enough to message me, because nobody did. Meh. Uh, that line is, this train will make you a man. This train will make you a man. This train will make you a man. You will not miss having legs. This train will make you a man. So that was fun. I enjoyed that. Guys, thank you for... Uh, I'm, I'm convinced nobody, not only will people not like this episode, but they will never tune in again, because without somebody to comport myself to, I may have revealed myself a bit too much to be a goddamn lunatic. I don't know. We'll see. It does feel, you know, <laughs> setting up a bunch of equipment to talk to yourself in a corner of your apartment doesn't seem quite as normal when there's no one there to talk to. There's a very fat pigeon outside my window. I guess th this show has been for Riley the Fat Pigeon outside my window. Um, next week, we have a returning guest. We have Dalton Pruitt of the Loud Boys podcast. I'm very excited to have him back. He's actually been appearing on a lot of my favorite podcasts. For example, he was on Zach Amico's Midnight Spook Show. I have no relation or connection aside from mutual friends with Zach Amico's Midnight Spook Show, but you should check it out. It's comedians watching horror movies and riffing on them. Uh, the episode the other day with Dan Soder and Shane Gillis watching Pet Cemetery. Very funny episode. I, I would like to try to get on that someday if I ever, uh, you know, Unfortunately, they're still doing things in person, and me and me and the me and the girly are keeping things tight around here with the COVID. All right, guys, I could talk all day. Thank you for getting through this episode with me. Um, fuck Ohio. I think we can all agree. Just fuck the entire state of Ohio. And uh, follow me at Jesse Dram at Jesse Dram at Gmail dot com at Mister Jessico on YouTube. Diamond Joe Quim on reddit it's just dirty reddit's just dirty you guys i'll see you next week for our regularly scheduled program